Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Collective Podcast. My name is Louis and in this week's episode we're very lucky to have our first ever special guest on the show and that being Glyn Rogers, a dear friend of mine who's also an amateur actor. He has over 30 years of experience in several different roles and productions and so today I'm going to be picking his mind to find out more about his experience of an amateur actor, what sort of things he's been in, how it's affected his work life and yeah just how you can get involved so if that's something you're interested in then it's certainly worth a listen but he's also a very very good man a very interesting speaker so i really recommend sticking around to hear what he has to say so without further ado this is glenn rogers amateur actor special guest on the creative collective podcast hello glenn Technology works. How are you? How's it out in the country? Yeah, really good, thank you. Everything's uh, everything in the garden's rosy. It's yeah, really well. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yourself? That's, that's good to hear. No, it's 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 been all right. Lockdown hasn't been um, certainly not as bad for me as other people. Um, managed to get a lot of stuff done that I've been putting off. So yeah, it's been all good. right. Yeah. So you used the time quite constructively, did you? Somewhat, somewhat. There are plenty of weeks. Um, months you could say that was spent doing nothing but yeah. needed needed in a way i suppose um absolutely yeah but yeah. thank you ever so much for agreeing to come on it's a great pleasure it to was have a pleasure you to see you talk to you yeah course. um so obviously for people who don't know and are listening to this glenn rogers we met um at samaritans training and we are both samaritans now um i knew from that time together that he was into amateur acting and had done a few bits and bobs to say the least um but the big the big event that sort of made me realize how talented he was um essentially in samaritan's training there's um parts where you partner up with another sam a samaritan and you practice being the cooler or the samaritan and i was partnered up with glenn to be the samaritan and he was the cooler so he had his sort of script in front of him of who he was meant to be, what his problems were. And we started off like any other call. Hi, Samaritans, how can I help you? Glenn starts talking about how sad he is, all these problems he's got going on, blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, it took me completely by surprise. Um, he starts weeping and bursts into tears and becomes like really animated and angry. And I literally had to stop and I almost burst out <laughs> laughing, not because of it wasn't comedic in any way but it was more like just shock because i was like bloody hell we're only we're only like practicing and he's gone all out for it but it, it was so like on demand I, I couldn't quite believe it so i mean yes, how, how do you look on your face yeah yeah i'm sure it was a picture um but just before we sort of get into everything else like how do you how did you do it more or less i feel i've asked you this before but i still don't quite yeah it's it, it's a fair question and 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 the answer sometimes seems a little bit trite the, the fact is that when you're given a character or given a scenario you have to really believe it you really have to believe it and in the in the role play that you just described i really had to believe in that guy's sadness i had to feel that um i think it was helpful the fact that um, the role play we were doing just gave the bare bones of the guy's uh, backstory, if you like. <clears throat> it didn't, didn't give you the words, didn't give you the script, so that I could 
um, I, I, I could put my own inflection on that. And one thing led to another. And I, as I say, I just really believe in the guy's backstory. I, I know it might sound trite, but I really believe in his pain and I felt it. And so it was easy to go into that meltdown, which uh, you and certain other people I was really worried. I, I thought, was a nervous breakdown. I thought I'd like said. I thought I'd like said a trigger word or something. I was like, oh my god, what have I, what have I done? <laughs> but is that yeah. is that sort of for you personally something that you prefer? I mean, I don't imagine you get many opportunities to do that, but to improvise, do you find that that's something you almost prefer, or it's yeah. Um, I've done very, very, very little mm. improvisation. Most of the stuff I do is fairly straight drama where you're given the script and given directions and you learn the words and you learn the moves, etc. But with, with any with any decent director, with any decent script, there are parameters within which you can work and you 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 can you can interpret things a little bit differently. So the the, the wider scope you have or the wider scope that a director allows you to have, because it's the director's Maybe after all, <clears throat> the, the, the more I like it, mm. um, because you you know you can have um, a standard role like Leah, for example, one of the greatest roles in on the stage. But several people will play that differently. You know, Simon Russell Beale will play it slightly differently from Ian McKellen, and a good director will give will trust his actor enough to give him that kind of scope, and that, that's the kind of role I like. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, that's. A really interesting um, conversation to be had, and I'm sure we'll sort of get back to that. But for now, mm -hmm. I'd like to take you back on a little journey, because um, we uh, exchanged a few emails before this, and I've sort of got a little bit of a taster of your backstory. And yeah. from what I read, it's not one that was. Um, it wasn't exactly fate that you were going to become an amateur actor. Um, no, it wasn't exactly true. written in your DNA. Or anything you like that. It wasn't. That. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't a, a dream of yours. So I was just wondering if you could, if you could expand upon uh, how you first got into it. Um, yeah, I, I'm more than happy to do that. And I, I think, <clears throat> I think people, people find their, their niche in life through through lots of different routes. And, and, and sometimes you just have the, the good fortune to, to just stumble across something. Um, it might be fishing. It might be writing or something like that. In my case, it, it, it was acting. I had absolutely no aspirations to do any acting whatsoever. Um, and it goes back to a time when my then wife and I moved to a, a, a little town in Kent called Sheerness. Um, we moved there. We didn't know anybody there. We moved there because it was the cheapest place that we could find to buy a house. So we moved there and um, just a few roads along from where we lived, there was a little community theatre. And my wife said, I'm going to join that theatre because I used to do a bit of drama at school and uh, be a nice way to meet people. So she did. And she was there for a couple of years. And I, I used to get dragged out just before a production, like most husbands, to help build the set, help paint the set and that sort of thing, which I was quite happy to do. And um, then one night she came in after an audition and she slightly sheepishly said, um, by the way, you're playing a policeman in our next production. And that and, went uh, down like a charm. <laughs> it went down like a charm, absolutely. I said, you're joking, I can't do that. Well, I put it with, <laughs> I've taken out the expletives there. Um, but um, like like most obedient husbands, I towed the line uh, and, and I agreed to do it. I really didn't want to do it. 
Um, but she said, she said, you're made for the part. It's just a formless idea of a, of a police constable. <laughs> kind of type party. And, and she said there are only about three lines, and she was absolutely right. There were three lines, uh, one of which on the opening night I forgot. And uh, fortunately, a, a lovely girl playing a waitress idled past me and whispered the line to me. I, I had three lines, and I, I can't go I got one of them lost, um, but I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the camaraderie, um, and yeah, I did enjoy the thrill of going out on stage. And so, uh, so I, I, it just snowballed from there. But it, as I say, it wasn't something I'd ever had any aspirations to do whatsoever. And but for that, um, but for that chance thing of um, my then wife auditioning for a play that they couldn't cast without just one small part being filled. I might never have found it, and mm. I'm just so glad I did because it's given me enormous pleasure in the 30 years or whatever it is since then. It's been it's been the making of me. So, so very important. Having no um, training or experience in acting at that point, what was the yep. process <clears throat> after that when you realised that you wanted to keep doing it? Was it just a case of learning on the job, or were there any in small courses or? No, I, I I didn't go to any courses. I didn't I didn't take it terribly seriously at first. I, I saw it as a uh, a fairly um, convivial social outlet, quite honestly. And uh, as time go as time went by, I, I was cast in bigger and bigger parts and uh, with better and better directors. And it was only then that I started to take it seriously. And from from my point of view, although I've not and any formal classes as such. I've had the good fortune of working with some really good directors who are um, professionally trained. And if, if you listen to them, um, then each rehearsal becomes like a masterclass. And I don't think I've worked for a decent director without learning something which I've carried forward with me into, into future production. So uh, if you're serious about it, and I am serious about it, I, I, um, I learn the lines reasonably quickly. Um, I listen to the directors, spin on things. I talk to the other actors about how they see my character, uh, how, how they think my character should interact with their character. Um, so you know, it's a, it, it's a it's a learning process. It's it's too much of a cliche to say that you know we learn something new every day, but I don't think it's too much of a cliche to say that I've picked up some new skill or enhanced some sort of skill with each play I've done. Mm. You said you've. Um... It's been 30 years since that first, since your debut Probably. performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how how long were you going before, as you said, you started to take it a bit more seriously? Pro pro probably a couple of years. The first couple of years, I, I, I was just sort of playing at it, really, and I was getting cast in, in small, small roles. And then while well, we still lived in Sheerness, um, we did an Alan Aitbourne play, um, which was directed by somebody called uh, Christine Reed, who was a drama teacher at the local school. And she, she was up to that point, the best director I'd ever worked with and, and found there was just so much more to the discipline of acting and to the, uh, to the skill of acting than I'd realized before. So it was Christine really that uh, kind of ignited my interest in, in really doing it for the art rather than just for, for a, uh, a social, uh, social outlet. Mm. And did you find it to be a good social outlet? Hugely, yeah. absolutely hugely, and still do. Um, without exaggerating, I would say that virtually all the friends I've got now, I've made 
throughout the years from 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 drama from uh, from amateur dramatics it's mm. uh it's quite an intimate process it's not like maybe playing golf or or snooker where you're, you're you're kind of in your own little void i would say that acting is almost the ultimate team sport because you you really are no matter how big a role you've got you're just so dependent on somebody giving you the right line the right cue you're so dependent on the uh prop lady putting the right prop out for you the lighting technician getting your lighting right it's a real team sport and as a consequence there's a lot of inter-reliance and um uh, and i think that makes it as i say more intimate than something a little bit detached like a four ball in golf or or, or going fishing with your with your brother sort of thing mm. no, that's that's a really good point actually because even in things i suppose like football like there is a sense of even though it is it is a very large team sport there's there's almost a sense of individual brilliance being able to overcome a lot of difficulties a team might face or something like that absolutely but yeah if 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 one person cocks it up in a yes in a live show then it it affects everyone massively absolutely and and and, and, and as with football it's not just what you see on the stage or what you see on the pitch it's what's going on before that you know with the I don't know with Ronaldo or somebody. If if a physio hasn't done his done his work properly, hasn't done his toning properly, then he, he's going to be slightly below where he'd like to be. And so, and so with an actor, if he hasn't had the right direction, if he hasn't been given enough uh, enough scope with his part, he he's not going to give the the same level of performance which he would do if if everything else had been just just leveled up a notch. Mm. Are there times when you felt like you haven't you hadn't been given enough direction or you felt like you were lacking not for a fault of your own but through the fault of not being given enough information? Yeah, so I, there are there are performances I've done performances in the same play. You might do a sort of ten night run or something like that, and you'll you'll do something. You'll 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 play far better one night than than you did the last night or you will the next night and it's very difficult to identify why you're saying exactly the same lines you're saying exactly the same moves um i i i never put that down to any lack of direction or any lack of um support in the in in the lead up to, to the actual performance something's not right from that technical side of thing, you should have identified it way before you get on stage. But it's it's very frustrating when you come off sometimes and you think, "Good tonight, I didn't I didn't fluff any lines. I I got my body in the right place, but why didn't I feel as good about it as I as I did last night?" And it's it's you know, keep you awake at night some sometimes, mm. and um, then the stars align or what have you, and you go on stage the next night and you absolutely nail it. It's very, very, uh, and I think that's why why a lot of people are nervous when when they set foot on stage for the first time. But once once you get on stage, the, the nerves go. Yeah, and go, so sort of taking that back to what we were talking about earlier, do you do you feel like there's a delicate balance between giving being given more artistic freedom to put your own spin on a role, and actually just not being given enough direction? There, there is, but that's very much the, the skill of the director. Mm. Um, I think I think the, I've had the good fortune of working for not many directors, really, but the ones I've worked with have been really good, really professional. And they just they just get that balance right. They they, they trust their actors, certainly actors that they cast in in lead roles. They trust them and they'll listen to them. And virtually every director I've ever had, I've felt something about my character. I've said to them, "Look, can I do it this way?" And 
almost to a man. They've said, yeah, do it that way, and I'll see if I like it. I'll do it that way, and sometimes they say, yeah, absolutely, keep it in, love it. Other times they'll say, no, didn't like it, do it my way. And you don't mind that, because at least they've given you the opportunity to put your um, your spin on things uh, out there. It's mm. uh, uh, it, it's the skill of a, a, a director to be inclusive, but in the final analysis to have the last word without kind of impairing the confidence of the of the actor to be able to put his own spin on things. Mm. And without um, necessarily naming any names, have you had bad experiences with directors? Have you had roles that you've sort of ended up not being not, too happy with or no, not not so much with bad directors because to be perfectly honest when i've been a member of a group the play's been coming up that's been directed with by somebody that i haven't felt that i'd get on with i haven't auditioned for it um so i've, I've been fairly selective i'm I, i'm not i'm not a tart i'm not a drama tart i won't just go for anything that's available i'll uh I'll make a value judgment, and if it's a play I like, a part I like, and a director I like, then I'll do it. A bit of a Leonardo DiCaprio. Pardon? A bit of a Leonardo DiCaprio. Very (laughs) specific with his roles. We've often been likened. Yes, you're quite right. (laughs) But uh, no, I've not not had... There are one or two directors that I've worked for, and then after the play's been over, I thought, I'm not sure that I'd audition for them again. But that's generally because they've um, they've been too narrow in their um, in their specification of what of what they want from the part. Mm. But I've never I've, 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 I've never fallen out with director. I've seen people fall out with directors, mm. but I, I never have because just as I say, the director should trust his actor, and so the actor should trust the director. It has to be a mutual. It has to be a two way street. Mm. I remember you mentioning right. about um, obviously amateur directing. Uh, amateur directing amateur acting is as it's called Mm. amateur so it's people who aren't trained um obviously not as grand a scale as the west end or something like that yeah yeah. but there's you said that there's still um a a very rightly so a very big degree of needing to take it relatively seriously um and i remember you said you've had a few occasions where the people around you maybe weren't taking it as seriously as you would have liked. I'm just yeah. wondering how that impacts you, but also perhaps the wider production. Like, does it does it sort of grow and affect other people who started off being quite serious? Does it sort of affect everything? Not, 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 uh, not, not too much. It, it, it does annoy me. It, it's usually people, talented people, that are. are are cast in a, in a in a relatively supporting role, for want of a better word, and and so you know they learn their part very quickly. They come to rehearsals and they get bored, so they'll chatter or they'll play they'll play silly games or silly jokes. Um, Ninety nine times out of a hundred, the the director is cute enough to spot that and say, "Hey, come on, let's let's have a bit of uh, a bit more discipline where that's concerned." And, and so I've ne- I've never known I've never known anybody's. Um, um, in disinterest in the production to actually impair it um, when we go on stage. And somebody said to me once a long, long time ago, what we have to remember is we are one of the few bodies of people 
to actually charge for other people to watch us doing our hobby. You know, you, you, you can't charge somebody to come and watch you go fishing. You can't charge somebody to come and watch you play golf. But we have the temerity to, to, to choose this bizarre hobby and then uh, and then charge people 18 quid to come to watch us doing it. So we, we have a, a literal debt to those people to, to give our best. And uh, primarily, truth be told, primarily you want to give of your best for your own self-esteem, of course. But at the back of your mind, there's, you, you're thinking, hang on, my, you know, my, my next-door neighbour and his wife have come and shelled out 36 quid for this. I, I want them to get 36 quid's worth of value for this. Mm. So what, what what does it feel like sort of walking out on stage and seeing Fabulous. like a big crowd? Yeah. Fabulous. Um it's it, it it's like nothing else. It's just like nothing else. I guess people that go bungee jumping or parachuting, I bet I bet they they know what that feels like. But when you're standing in the wings, particularly if you're in a lead part and you know you've got literally hundreds of lines in your head. You've got to get bot on right over the next two hours. And there's 150 people out there watching you. Um, that first step that you take on the stage is quite is, is quite nerve-wracking. But uh, I've often sort of likened it to, to driving to a Samaritan shift. You know, you're going to a shift, you haven't got a clue what's in store for you. But you get there, pick up the phone, first caller, and you're into it. You know, you, you, your training takes over, your mind it takes over when you're into it and, and it's very similar to going on stage you're standing in, in the wings and uh butterflies and, and what have you. you take that first step on stage you get your first line out and you're flying like an eagle mm. and speaking of having to have hundreds of lines in your head i mean i imagine there's lots of different ways of going mm. about that but have you sort of picked up a, a technique for yeah i suppose i I'm, I'm fairly lucky in as much as i i I, I learn lines fairly quickly and fairly accurately, but having said that, I do have to learn them. I can't just look at the script and bosh, I, I, I'm away with it. I do have to sit down on Sunday afternoon, and uh, we, we had a workshop um, when I was at Windsor Theatre Guild a few years ago with a, a guy from RADA, um, and, and he said that his, he said the best technique is the one that works for you. His technique is to allocate a certain amount of time, it might be 10 minutes, it might be an hour, and however long he's allocated, he looks at his script and he thinks, right, I've got 15 minutes, so I'm just going to learn this three-line three, three line speech or something like that. And he reads it several times without making any effort whatsoever to remember it. And he says it out loud, so he's using his lips, his eyes, and his ears, the three, you know, three senses. And then he learns the first line, then he learns the second and builds the first line on it, and so on and so forth. Uh, and that works for me, quite honestly. And I, I'm fairly lucky in as much as it kind of sticks once I've learned it. You know, some people will, will learn a paragraph and then the next morning they get up and they only remember 80% of it. I'm fairly lucky in as much once I've learned something, um, it generally sticks. Mm. But I, I, I kind of work on it in as much as if I'm not in a play and it's one of those hobbies that you can put down and pick up more or less at will. But if I haven't been in a play for a while, on a Sunday, I'll go to the Sunday paper and I'll pick an article to learn just for the sake of keeping that sort of muscle, learning muscle, if you like, going. And I always, um, you know, pages and pages of Sunday Times, just an article 
on something that I have no interest in whatsoever, usually from the motoring section. I'm not in the least interested in cars. So I'll find an article about, I don't know, Bugatti's new push bike or whatever, and, and just learn that for the sake of learning something. Right, yeah. Uh, are there any, do you see other methods being used by people around you? And it, I suppose more what I wanted to ask was, is it, you know, scene to scene, obviously when you walk out there, I suppose you you don't have all 100 lines there, I imagine mm-hmm. it's... Obviously, this is why it would have been better if Julia was here because she's an actress herself. So it would have been better between you two. But I imagine there's a lot of relying on cues from other people to yes, there is. sort of yeah. bring that memory to the front kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, there is. And that's going back to what I said earlier, the fact that it is a real team sport. You know, if you're playing opposite somebody who's forever fluffing their cues for you, you're going to fluff your lines. You know, you, you learn your lines, but you also learn your cues. So if you're getting the wrong cue, you, you might get your line right, but it won't come instantly. You're having to sort of think and build on it. So it's important that um, that you learn your cues and that the other actor is is accurate with their delivery of their cues. Yeah, very. As I say, that, that all goes back to, to the team spirit and, and to the to the interdependence of everybody. It's not uh, it, it's not a, a, a raw, it's not a, an individual thing at all, apart mm. from it. So, so speaking of that, what do you what would you rate as the best production you've been involved in? That can either be just your favourite role or overall like the best group of people, the best outcome. Okay, that's that's a good question. I have um, um, there are two that spring readily to mind. Both of them have been to theatre guild, but I was with for about ten years. Um, I played Laurie Lee in Cider with Rosie, and. It's, it's a really interesting part because you're playing Laurie Lee and you're sort of narrating your story and actors are in the background enacting your story. So you're part of it, but not part. That, that was quite an interesting discipline. My, my, um, and it was a great part, a great bunch of people, a real, real fraternity. And, uh, and um, I played Georgian of Mice and Men. Um, and a, Mice and Men, it, it, there, there are two real leads, George and Lenny. Um, I, was, I was playing with a guy called Jim Cottrell, and Jim, Jim and I were really good friends, and we just had a real chemistry. I've never never known it easier to learn a part or to learn a character, and, and directed by a guy, a guy called Don Cook, who was a really good director, so he gave us a lot of trust, and it was a real joy to do. And I, I enjoyed the story, I enjoyed the script, I enjoyed the, the cast, the director. That, those two... Uh, I don't think I've not enjoyed anything I've been in, but those two were were, were my sort of, uh, would be my Groundhog Day choices, quite honestly. Mm. Well, the story of George and Lenny is one that's certainly familiar to me and a lot of people my age, because that usually yeah. comes up in our like English lit- literature exactly. back in high yeah. in secondary school. Yeah. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about what it was like playing George um, and how that went, like how how it was um converted to the stage it was it, it was a question of the guy playing lenny and i get, get it, getting the right levels with each other there was a real mutual dependency george needed lenny as much as lenny needed george then he needed george from a practical point of view because he was you know slightly slow-witted couldn't look after himself and that sort of thing um but george needed lenny for the love and trust then he gave him because there was nobody else in George's life enough to have trusted him. 
Lenny did. We had to get that mutual. It, it wasn't. It's easy to play it as, as George being the competent wheeler and dealer who's going to get him this job, going to buy them this ranch, and and Lenny being a bit of a, a drain on him, a bit of a drag on him. Mm. Um, that's that's the kind of cheap and easy way to play it. The better way to play it is to get this message across that they need each other, and, and that. And if you, in my opinion, with that script, if you don't achieve that then in that final scene where George shoots Lenny, which is one of the most emotional scenes I've ever been in. Um, if you haven't got that mutual dependency, then it's just like um, just like seeing a, a vet shoot a lame horse that's fallen on a, uh, a race course or something like that. If you've got that mutual dependency, that that love between those two men, then it's a real tearjerker. Mm. And, and, uh, and I think with, with great, uh, great help from John, the director, I think Jim and I pulled it off, and possibly because we were very very good buddies off stage long before the production and well, that must make a big difference the chemistry yes wise. it must yeah yeah if i was if i'd been cast if somebody other than jim had been cast as lenny i perhaps have found it more difficult to, to get that to get that empathy to get that relationship that i liked hugely and respected hugely it it put us ahead of the ahead of the curve definitely mm. With with amateur acting, how much of a chance is there to build rapport and chemistry with the people around you? So in terms of like the build up to a run, how long yeah. on average do you have to um, rehearse and get to know each other? It, it varies between the shortest run, the shortest schedule, I think, is generally about six weeks at our level. Uh, and I've known the luxury of having 10, 11 weeks before and... Um, Generally, rehearse two, three times a week, and it's it's not difficult to spike up those relationships. You know, even if you're in a lead, you're off stage for a certain amount of time, so you'll sit with other members of cast, you have a coffee, go outside for a fag, or what have you, and that those relationships build up. Um, and I've said to you before, very very few rehearsals don't end up in a pub. You'll finish rehearsing, and some of them let's go for a pint. There'll be a great exodus to the nearest bar. And that always uh, I mean, helps. You know, we're not just drama. We, we, we don't just talk about drama. We talk about our lives outside it. You know, um, it's, it's easy for me being an Arsenal supporter to talk about all, all the wonderful successes that Arsenal have over the years. If you know, if they're Liverpool supporters, they're, they're a yeah. bit wanting in conversation, obviously. But so you know, but it's all part of the it's all part of the bonding, all part of the build, uh, building of a relationship, building of trust, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Easy. Yeah. So, uh, where was I going? Yeah. So, in terms of all of the experience, all of the skills that you've built up, all of the people that you've met, how much do you think acting has impacted you as a person outside of being on stage? I I I can't put too high a value on it. It's impacted upon me enormously. Um, most overridingly, it's given me enormous pleasure and enormous happiness. If you find something that gives you pleasure, happiness, call it what you will, it does wonders for your self-esteem. Um, even if you're not casting lead roles, even if you're in the chorus or in support, you're doing something that you hugely enjoy. Your spirit, your self-esteem is going to be is, is going to get a pickup from that. Um, and again, that that that, that can. Uh, translate in, in, into other hobbies, pastimes, disciplines. You don't have to be the greatest fisherman in the world 
to enjoy sitting in a boat for four hours damping a worm off a string and if it if it makes you happy you're going to be a better richer person for it and that's what acting has done for me it's given me enormous pleasure there are sort of if you like mechanical skills that I've from it I'm a reasonably good presenter at work I'm reasonably aware of my body language my positioning um and and, and that's all that's all fine but it's it's the more if you like spiritual things that I've got from it the, the greatest of which being self-confidence and self-esteem as, as you know from the experiences you've had um if you haven't got confidence and self-esteem then then life's awfully hard mm. and uh, what about the interdependence that you spoke about within mm. um, a production that must have I, I suppose extending to a work life and to samaritans yeah. things like that that must have a big impact as well i suppose it does i suppose it's it's almost subliminal you know through, through, through the acting you're aware of how important it is to to react with people to trust people etc so i suppose that uh, yeah that kind of gets into your dna mm. and hopefully you conduct yourself in other environments like samaritans like work whatever like family with, with those skills kind of embedded that you're kind of as I say calling on almost subconsciously almost as a kind of reflex mm. yeah mm. Uh, and speaking of work actually when you were or when you are in the midst of a of a run um you're deep into it you're you've got um shows uh, a few times a week or however often it is yeah how often how difficult has it been balancing between work normal outside life yeah. and acting yeah it, it can be difficult i've never found it difficult for, for a couple of reasons one, one is um, I work for a great company. Uh, I've got a great boss now, and I've been blessed with great bosses in the past who let me know what I do, uh, and so are very supportive of that. Um, but also, it, it, it can be physically knackering doing a production. So, wherever I can, I book. If I if if I'm in a, a week's run, I'll book that week off. That's holiday. Right. Um, um, and I I just trying to think. I don't. I don't know, of all the productions I've done, I can't think of anybody that hasn't shown up for an actual performance. People miss rehearsals, I've missed rehearsals because something's come up at work um, and sometimes work has to come first. It pays the mortgage, it keeps the roof over our head. So sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll be going to rehearsals and, um, as I say, something will crop up and you get, uh, you, you get diverted and that's forgivable because at the end of the day, and back to this interdependency, we're all amateurs, we've all got a crust to earn. So if somebody can't turn up, you know there's a blooming good reason why they can't turn up and you forgive. But I, I I've never known anybody not turn up for a never. Yeah. Um, and that must go back to that trust again, which is exactly that. <laughs> what it's all exactly about. that. Yeah. yeah, that trust and um respect for other people mm. yeah it's it's kind of not a choice if you're in a production then short of a life and death situation you're going to be there half an hour before the production starts come what may mm. has it has there been any roles that you particularly wanted but couldn't do because of work commitments that you couldn't audition for or no, you've no, managed never. To... If, if i if i fancied a part like with george and mice and men i really wanted that part mm. um I wouldn't have let anything stop me doing that. But as I say, I, I've, I've 
very grateful the fact I've got a terrific boss, work for a terrific company, um, and, and and no way would no no way I, I'm I'm not at such an extraordinarily elevated level in work. My presence is is absolutely you know the company's not going to crumble if I'm away for all mm. like that. And also like you know I'm not um, uh, it, I, I, like with a lot of things I, I I'm honest with with my boss about it. And like you know if I don't take a week off. I would say to him, look, I'm, I'm going to play that week, so I don't want any trips up to Manchester or stuff like that. And he's absolutely fine with that. Mm. So, uh, I think as long as you know, it's, as long as you're fairly straight, and as long as you have the good fortune to be in a in a in a in a job where you've uh, been for a long time and you've you've earned a little bit of credibility, a bit of trust, then um, then the two shouldn't conflict really. Mm. That must help though, having a boss who's understanding and sort of recognizes that that's something that you're doing so doesn't try to like pretend that you're someone who's aspiring to get to the top and wants to be going on everything so to have that understanding from him um is something that certainly helps i feel like i'm sure you're right that's uh that that, that's absolutely absolutely the case and my boss knows me very well, and he knows that you know that's an integral part of of, of my DNA, if you like. And mm. and also with a lot of people that don't do that have not been on stage, <laughs> an element of um, not awestruck, but certainly respect, because they think, "Crikey, I could never learn all those lines. I could never get on stage and do what he does." So there's a there's a kind of respect, and there's a kind of grudging. Good luck to you, mate. Well done. And, and and I'm very fortunate in that's the relationship I've got with my boss. So um never been any conflicts at all. Mm, that's really good. Are there any roles? Mm. Um are you taking part in anything at the moment or anything coming up? No, I'm not. Be- I, I um I did a play in Whitstable last December called Heroes, which was a Tom Stoppard translation, just three three guys of about my age who who were uh, um sort of i suppose um fairly light-hearted thing really uh three it's actually french originally and tom sopard translated it three elderly boys uh thinking about escaping from their care home um there were elements of last of the summer wine about it i think mm. that was lovely but unfortunately that, that was in december the next play that group was doing can't remember what the play was but i didn't think there was anything in it for me Play after that, it's going to be one man, two governors, and I thought, you know, I could play the father in that. But unfortunately, the uh, uh, COVID nineteen came about, and uh, yeah. so absolutely everything got built. So yeah. no, I'm not in anything. Nobody, nobody's, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody's auditioning at the moment. No, so, yeah. so when they do, there'll be an absolute rush back to it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, the, the global pandemic just completely slipped my mind then. I, <laughs> I don't know why I <laughs> Easily asked done. that question. Easily done. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, it's all over 45, now. 45,000 deaths in this country yeah. and, you know, four but, months of lockdown, the economy in meltdown, easy thing to overlook. But the pubs are open, so it's all over. <laughs> We're back to normality, apparently. <laughs> it's not all bad news. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, there was something that, I, I, again, slipped, slipped my mind, um, but... I needed to ask you about you did shake you've done Shakespeare, haven't you? I'm or not great at Shakespeare, but you have I've done Shakespeare. You have done yeah. it, yeah. I'm what, not great. What Shakespeare's did you do, and how? What was that like compared to a normal or a different form of? I, I find Shakespeare extraordinarily difficult because being fairly thick, 
I don't really understand the language. And if I don't understand the language, then I can't deliver it right. Um, and I've got nothing but admiration for people that, that can learn Shakespeare as easily as they can learn Alan Acorn or Tom Stoppard. Nothing but admiration for them. Um, but I can't. I really can't. Um, I, I just, I have to believe in the language. <clears throat> and I just can't, I can't, I'm not clever enough to understand Shakespeare as easily as other people would. Um, I played uh, I played one of the mechanicals in Midsummer Night's Dream once to, to great effect. That, but that's, if you know Midsummer Night's Dream, the mechanicals is like a play within a play, kind of knockabout farce with Fisby. Um, and, and that was fine. That was great because that was very, very basic. But play one of the great leads like Anthony and Anthony and Cleopatra were would be way beyond mm. way beyond my comfort zone you know we we horses for courses and I just I, I just really really struggle with Shakespeare mm. really read and uh, is that not something that you're particularly keen to keep keep at it's not really of interest to you really because and I, I I'm sure there are people that line me up and shoot me for saying it but I even at school when I was doing my GCSEs, I, I didn't really like Shakespeare. Well, I, I, I wouldn't read... say too many people at GCSEs like Shakespeare, Glenn, but <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say you're alone on that but one. You, but sometimes that plants a seed and people, people learn to love yeah. Shakespeare. And, and I, sadly, I, I never, ever did. I'd far rather have read Ian Fleming or something like that than, than, than Shakespeare. Um, so I, I never really bought into that. Mm. Great, great shame. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I've seen some great Shakespearean actors. I, I've, I've seen McKellen in Lear. I've seen Simon Russell Beale, um, and I'm just in awe of their talent and their brilliance. But uh, even on a, a local amateur level, I just, I just cannot, can't do it. Mm. And I don't care, to be perfectly honest, because uh, there are plenty of other things that I do enjoy in the amateur world. Uh, yeah. I can um, do enjoy. So uh, if a group was doing Shakespeare and needed some sort of supplementary character to fill in, I'd, I'd happily do that. But I would never, ever, and have never auditioned for a lead in a Shakespeare. Just can't do it. Mm. I want to do it either. Well, that's fair enough. There's, As you said, there's plenty more out there in the world beyond Shakespeare. I hope so. Speaking, speaking of that, did, I believe you played a king. Did you? Was it King Henry VIII? It was. I've lost was. weight since then. <laughs> <laughs> what what, was, that, was, what uh, was that in? Uh, it was. Uh, it was the, the play was called Anne Boleyn. Uh, it was written uh, fairly recently, uh, five or ten years ago. I can't remember the name of the author. It, it was. Uh, it was quite a, a modern take on on Anne's story, um, uh, and it also involved a sort of. Uh, ghostly appearance from, from James the Sixth. So it wasn't just a straight Anne Boleyn, you know, married to him for a thousand days and then lose her head. There, there were all sorts of nuances to that. So I actually auditioned when I auditioned for that and until the group I'd never auditioned for them before Gilbreds, which is obviously never auditioned for them before. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. Um but I saw this posting and sort of like to audition. So the director sent me script and and i quite i quite fancied cromwell um which to be perfectly honest was a smaller part but i, I learned the audition piece of cromwell i thought i auditioned very well if i say so myself and um 
then Jay, the director, called us, several of us back for a second audition. He kept asking me to read Henry while this other guy was reading Cromwell. And I thought, I'm sure he's going to cast me as Cromwell. He's just giving this guy a second chance to see if this guy can. But he never had any intent to play. He, he said afterwards, we, we, we're good friends now. He, he said, as soon as you opened your mouth, he said, I, I knew I had my Henry. Um, and I, I, I didn't see myself as Henry at all. But it was a great, great part, great play, um, and uh, and a great group to be associated. It sounds like... That, Sorry, go on. I suppose... I suppose paying Henry was moderately close to, to, to a Shakespearean sort of role, but it was very much written in, in modern language. There, there, there wasn't anything Shakespearean about the language, mm. um, which is my issue with Shakespeare. It's not about the, uh, about the plot, about the characterisation. It's purely and simply, I know my limitations, and I just find the language too difficult. Mm. Uh, whereas um, Howard Breton, that was his name. That was the, the guy who wrote it. Uh, he wrote um, famous. He wrote a play called Romans in Britain, which uh, I think got banned. Um, he's, a, he's a liberal use of, um, should we say, adult language throughout it, which again suited me. Um, so I, I, I just loved doing that part because the, the, I found the language very much within my own rhythms. It, sound, it sounds cast. like a lot of fun. It was a great deal of fun it was a great deal of fun it was quite a long run it was uh we did two two separate weeks in open air productions in in and around guildford waverley abbey was one and place near farnham was another lovely settings um kind of picnic productions in as much as people went rigid seating people came early with picnics had their picnic in these nice grounds glass of wine all the rest of it and then sat on the ground and watched uh, our production it was, a, it was a lovely atmosphere. It was two two summers ago when the weather was really kind to us, and it was fantastic, mm. really beautiful, mm. beautiful setting. Yeah, good. Um, what, I already asked you about uh, if you had any roles lined up, but what I, I would like to ask and sort of go towards wrapping up, um, mm. are there, what is your dream role? So if there was any oh. role that you could go for and get, um, if that's something that you already went for, something that you've got in your head, what would that's, it be? that's uh, again, that's a very, very good question. One that I would have welcomed some forewarning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you had to know um, it was coming, surely. <laughs> I've, what I'd probably go for, I, I, I'd probably like to do Cider with Rosie playing Laurie Lee again. I did it about. 15 or so years ago, I'm 15, 20 years older now. And I think I think I'd play it slightly differently. But that was quite a good challenging role because as like I said, you're you're of it but out of it. And and I think experience I've got since then, I, I'd probably probably enjoy playing that. Um, um, I'm a big fan of Arthur Miller, probably my favorite modern-ish playwright. Um, so maybe something in View from the bridge, or, or something from Death of a Salesman, probably something like that. Um, Willie Lomond, yeah, okay. If you want to answer that question, if there's one role that I aspire to play, it's Willie Lomond in Death of a Salesman. Right, I haven't heard of that one, so a little. Look it up. Google a... it. Oh, all right then. Okay, <laughs> right, we'll end it here then. <laughs> all right, no, it's, 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 it's fascinating, and it's slightly. Uh, uh, as I say, it, it's uh, it's a fa fairly modern. It, it's set probably in about the 1940s. It's uh, 
story starts Arthur Miller's American playwright success in America and it's about a guy um who's not had a particularly distinguished career not had a distinguished marriage <clears throat> bit of a dinosaur he's not keeping up with modern technology and boy can I relate to that um and it's about his mental decline he, he goes into a kind of uh, kind of uh, almost a diment uh, uh I, I don't want to say he it's uh, it's about um dementia because it's not he becomes he becomes slightly feeble slightly um slightly unstable as the play goes on and it it's kind of elements with Lear Lear descends into that madness I wouldn't say Willie Lomond descends into a madness but he does use his he does lose his abilities his faculties and I think that slow decline accelerated over the course of the world play I think when it's done well it's quite it's quite fascinating to watch so yeah one day before I before I hang up my makeup brush yeah I'd probably like a girl at Willie Lomond is is that the sort of role that you get drawn towards the most? Some, something to do with someone losing their marbles, in a sense. Someone, you know, seeing that, seeing a, a change in someone's character that can become quite drastic and often yeah, quite I, a downturn. I, I think what you look for, um, not not necessarily a descent, but an evolution in in the character or some sort of journey in the character. Um, yeah, you know, going back to to mice and men, George evolved over, over that time. You know that that optimism that he has, that you know the next the, the next job is going to be the great job and all the rest of it, um, goes to a certain level, and, and then he realizes with great chagrin that that's never going to happen. So he's faced with a kind of reality. He's faced with the reality of having to do. Um, you know, meet out the ultimate justice to Lenny, save Lenny from being ripped apart by the avenging hordes and that sort of thing. So it's, I think to be challenged as an actor, you want to see an evolution, you want to see a development in the character. You don't, you know, you don't want to see somebody who bounds on stage, is cheerful Charlie in the first line and still cheerful Charlie in the last line. You, you want to see some sort of things to him, some sort of change of uh, change of direction and, and Willie Willie Loman certainly does that as on a grander scale obviously just Leah but unfortunately with my inability to play Shakespeare I've never auditioned for it. Well fingers crossed from me and Julia that you're able to get that <laughs> one day. Um I think if you did then give us a shout and we'll come and watch it for sure. I was um, hoping you might sponsor it actually so Yeah well one day one day <laughs> um but, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. I just have one more question for you, and this is sort of your chance to be uh, motivational, inspirational, as you were. So if there's anyone out there who's thinking about going into amateur acting or just more generally has something that they want to try out but are a bit afraid of doing it, what wise words would you bestow upon them? I, I don't know whether they're wise words or obvious, but but try it. And 99 times out of 100, whatever fears or apprehensions you have, are not going to be, and it's not going to be as bad as you think. You know, it's it, it's very difficult, even even now sometimes, to to go and audition for a group where you've never been before, and they don't know you. You may be the biggest waste of space ever, but you get through that door, and even if you don't get the part, you 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 get a you get a bond and and i'm sure that exists whether whether your hobby is mine or whether it's anything else it's kind of 
uh, team orientated. Don't, 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 don't be afraid. I think that's the obvious thing to say, but almost certainly whatever fears and apprehensions you have won't be realized. It won't be anywhere near as bad as you're fearing it might be. So go out there and try it and, and enjoy it. Don't, don't, don't expect to pick up amateur dramatics and get cast as King Lear in your first audition. Go there for the sake of enjoying it. And the more you enjoy it, the better it will become. I think that's true of anything. Acting, being a Samaritan, being a temping bowler or whatever. Enjoy it and uh, uh, and good things generally come your way. Mm. No, that's, that's absolutely true. And um, a great way to wrap it up i think um okay thank you so much for coming on it's been really great to talk to you again and um and we'll it's been have... really good to see you yeah Tell me looking so fit and well thank and, you uh, thank you no the camera really the camera is very deceiving um <laughs> clearly but, um, we'll have to have a proper catch-up yeah. at some point and... i'd love to and we, yeah. and we will for sure definitely no doubt about it um, yeah okay yeah i'll let you crack on with your day and uh okay once again my daughter you. and granddaughter are downstairs so i should go and see if they've made me some lunch lovely hopefully they have uh, it's been yeah, a, it's I been a so tough too. it's been a tough morning for you <laughs> it's been a great morning and thank you very much no uh, worries for at all. giving me the opportunities lovely thanks Absolutely very no much problem. thank you so much take care all the best Bye-bye. see you soon Thank you so much again for choosing to listen to the Creative Collective podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, then please feel free to follow our social media accounts. On Instagram, we are Creative Collective Pod. And on Twitter, we are at create underscore underscore collect. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and also leave us a review and a rating. Please be as honest as possible as we're always looking to improve. Once again, thank you so much for listening and we look to see you in the next episode.